0: Let us pray. Prepare our hearts, O oh God, to hear your word and obey your will. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. The first scripture reading today is from the book of Isaiah, verses chapter forty, verses one through eleven. Comfort, comfort my people, says the Lord. and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rock places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says cry. And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass. And all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice and strength. O Jerusalem, herald of good news, lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might, and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms he will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks,
1: Thanks be to God. God.
0: The Gospel reading today is from the book of Mark, chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. The beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going
1: Now John was clothed with camel's hair, and wore a leather belt around his waist,
0: and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thanks be to God. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our Redeemer. Those of you who heard my Wizard of Oz rant at Bible study a few weeks ago know now that I grew up in Kansas. For some strange reason, I have found that people in the rest of the United States, especially here in the East, are fascinated by people from Kansas. And there are a few things that people consistently ask me when they find out that's where I grew up. Such as, have you ever been in a tornado? To which the answer is, I don't know anyone who's actually been in a tornado and survived, but I have seen quite a few close up and right down the street. I distinctly remember one time my mother yelling at my father and I to get in off the porch and into the basement uh, because we were standing there watching a tornado that was about a quarter mile away. And the answer to your follow-up question is, yes, they do sound like freight trains. I get asked if I like corn which baffles me because I grew up next door to a wheat field and so I know full well that corn is from Nebraska and wheat is from Kansas, but I do understand it's easy to forget how vast the Midwest is and how vastly different things can be just one state away. And the questions that drive me nuts are the Wizard of Oz ones. Do you have a dog named Toto? Have you ever been to Oz? If I had a nickel for every time someone has jokingly called me Dorothy Gale, I would be a very wealthy woman. I once got asked why I don't have a southern accent. And once I realized that the person asking the question was serious, we spent some time together talking about United States geography and where exactly Kansas is located. The question that I love, though, is is it really as flat as they say it is? This is always asked um, in a mystified manner by a born and bred Pittsburgher who cannot imagine a place in the world that doesn't have hills. And it's a fun question because the answer is yes. Kansas is statistically flatter than a pancake. I'm not sure who took the time to research that, but my suspicion is it was a Kansan with nothing better to do with their time because, frankly, there's not a lot to do in Kansas. Now, I love the Pittsburgh area, and I've even grown to love the hills here, except for when I'm on my bicycle. But I learned to drive in Kansas. And when we moved back here to be closer to extended family, it was like I had to learn how to drive all over again because when you've never driven on anything bumpier than a pancake, the hills around here are absolutely terrifying. Not to mention there are bridges all over the place. There's not a lot of water in Kansas either, and so you don't have bridges. I'm pretty sure we were back here in Pittsburgh at least six months before I drove faster than about 10 or 15 miles per hour. It's much harder to drive on hills and twisty, turny roads And you always make better time when you're driving on straight stretches of highway than when you're driving through the mountains or the hills. And that's why when they're building highways, they purposely look for the straightest, flattest paths possible to make them more efficient. They want to find the fastest way to get from point A to point B. In our passage today, Isaiah talks about making paths straight, for God, taking the valleys and filling them in. This is an appealing idea for a relocated Kansan living in Pittsburgh. It's not that God can't overcome any obstacles that are in the way, but we need to make space on the human end of things if we are going to get on the highway, so to speak. Sometimes we are so consumed, so obsessed by the roadblocks, the twists and the turns and the hills that we drive a frustrating 10 miles an hour. This is what the people were doing when Mark started writing the gospel that we read this morning. They were fretting about the roadblocks, about the hills and the valleys and the twists and the turns. The world in which Mark was writing needed some good news. They needed to know that there was room for God to work, but they were waiting to see God work on their terms. Their political situation was appalling. There was great unrest in Mark's time and the people were fed up with it. So Mark opens by saying that this is the good news of Jesus, the Messiah, the savior they have been waiting for. And then he starts talking about someone else entirely. In fact, Mark doesn't even tell the story of the birth of Jesus. He jumps right into John the Baptist proclaiming that Jesus is coming He goes straight into the baptism and the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Mark is saying, there is preparation that has to be done before we get to the part you've been waiting for. Mark isn't the only one of the gospel writers that skips Jesus' birth. John doesn't talk about it either. He just says, a great light came into the world, and John came to prepare the way for that light. Only two of the Gospels out of the four, Matthew and Luke, include Jesus' birth in their stories. But all four of them mention John the Baptist before writing about Jesus' ministry. They all four talk about John coming to pave the way for Jesus. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. The preparation is key. Preparing the hearts and minds of the people for the great work of the Messiah is a step that they cannot leave out. Mark reminds the people of this by connecting the story back to the prophet Isaiah. They were traditionally a people in waiting. This was their history. They were waiting for the fulfillment of the promise made to Abraham. Waiting for freedom from slavery. Waiting to be allowed into the promised land. Waiting for the Messiah. In order to truly understand the good news, the people had to know that it connected to their history, to the prophecies that had come from long ago about the Messiah and the voice crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way. Mark is using these familiar words of Isaiah to remind the people that there is and always has been a comforting voice in the midst of their waiting. God does not leave them alone in their darkness. We are all waiting for something. I'd even venture to say we're all waiting for something important. Even those of us who might not be able to quite say exactly what it is that we're waiting for. Waiting for God to move in some way. Waiting for God's work in our lives. Waiting for things to get better. Waiting for for the world to improve, waiting for the second coming, waiting for the pews to fill. We, like the Israelites, are still a people of waiting, and waiting stinks. And when we get to whatever it is we're waiting for, we would usually rather just forget that part where we had been waiting for so long. That's a big part of why Advent often gets lost in the shuffle or conflated with Christmas, even though Mark and all the other gospel writers say, no, you cannot forget about the waiting. There is important preparation in the waiting. Our hearts have to be cleared of roadblocks, things that aren't necessarily standing in God's way, but things that are standing in our way. Things we have to move out of the way so that we can open ourselves up to God's work. Just like John the Baptist came to prepare the way in the world for the work of Jesus Christ, we have work to do in preparing our hearts for the work of Jesus Christ. I am not always the most patient person in the world. You may have noticed, but I frequently fly around at top speed trying to do 10,000 things at once. And sometimes I hurry just a little bit too much. And this is one of the reasons that winter drives me nuts, especially around here. If any of you saw the news recently, Houston completely freaked out because they had a dusting of snow and nobody knew what to do. They couldn't drive, planes couldn't get off the ground, I'm from just a little bit north of Houston, up in Kansas, and I, the most snow I ever remember getting as a kid was like six inches, and the whole town shut down. But aside from that adjustment, it also bothers me that winter mornings force you to slow down. I don't like slowing down. and I think that's why cold weather makes for such good timing for Advent, a time where we are called to slow down down. The first morning of any winter when I walk outside and realize that my car is a ball of ice that needs to be melted is nearly always the most disappointing and frustrating day of my year. I want to be able to just hop in the car and go to where I need to go, but the car is not ready for me. I have to get in first, which sometimes requires a trip to the house for hot water to de-ice the door, and then turn on the car. And once it's on, it has to run for a few minutes before the engine is warm enough for the heat to actually work. And sometimes you can scrape the ice or brush the snow before the heat's up, but we tend to get that thick, unchippable ice around here. And the only way you can possibly deal with that sort of ice is to just let the car run and warm up and let it melt off. Likewise, We cannot just take off into the life and the ministry that Jesus has called us to, both as individuals and as a community, without some sort of preparation, without preparing our hearts. We have to start the car and let it warm up before we can start driving. And Advent slows us down. It humbles us. It warms up the engine and thaws the ice. It gives us an opportunity to assess and to deal with the roadblocks that are preventing us from allowing Jesus full access to work in our lives. And this is hard work, my dear friends. This is uncomfortable work. Christopher Hudson says, Scripture proclaims hope for troubled souls and judgment for the self-assured. Against our human tendency to read the Bible in self-justifying ways, Confirming our prejudices and excusing our resentments, we must learn to read self-critically, allowing scripture to correct us. As the Swiss Reformed theologian Karl Barth says, only when the Bible grasps at us does it become for us the word of God. Faith is not meant to be easy. If it were easy, if it had no complications, no discomfort, the pews of every church out there would be full this morning. We are meant to wrestle with this stuff because it changes us. That is how we become more Christ-like, how we get closer to God and to one another. And we need this space in which to do so, this space that Advent affords us. Sometimes it's obvious what's in the way in our lives. Oh, I need to take more time to read my Bible, or I have something, I have to do something with this sharp tongue of mine. Sometimes it's much harder to figure out than just a behavior. It's often deeper and harder to pinpoint. In fact, the more of the obvious stuff we've wrestled with, the deeper we find the problems lie. Sometimes we think it's obvious what's in the way, but when we stop to reflect and pray, we notice that it's something else entirely. It can be a frustrating process. It can feel discouraging and lonely. Sometimes it feels like God has abandoned us in the waiting. Because waiting means admitting that God does not operate on our time. But there is a voice of comfort in the waiting. And we wait together in this time as a community. Listen for the voice in the wilderness crying out. It's a voice that comforts and says, The Lord is coming! Prepare the way of the Lord! My prayer for our celebration of Advent this year is that it would be a time of hope, and of reflection. Remember in this time that the Lord is coming. Let's pray that in this time, each heart will be opened up to the work of God, that the roadblocks be moved and the paths be made straight. Amen.